Life and every day is full of decisions and more decisions and more decisions. Life is full of decisions, and actually that's a good thing. The fact that you always have a lot of decisions to make means that you're an adult, and that's a good thing. For there's only two ways to avoid having to make decisions. The first way to avoid having to make decisions is to remain a small child, or maybe you are a small child. When you were, or if you are a small child, others, hopefully your mom and dad, make decisions for you. They decide when you get up, when you go to bed. They decide what you're going to eat. They decide what you're going to wear and what you'll do during the day. I mean, that's great. That sounds like paradise, doesn't it? Except there's a catch. The whole point of your parents doing all this decision-making for you is so that you start learning how to make good decisions, wise decisions. Yes, indeed, so that you can grow up to become a wise decision-making adult. Many adults don't want to grow up and make all these decisions, so they try to remain small children all their lives. The second way to avoid having to make decisions is to be a slave. Then other people make all your decisions for you. And there are many people who would willingly become slaves if they could, but thankfully slavery was abolished in our country in 1863 by President Lincoln's his, um, his Emancipation Proclamation, and that abolition was enforced by the victory of the North in the Civil War. So that option is not open for folks in the United States, although there are many countries in the world where people can go and become a slave if they want to. So for adults, decision-making is inescapable, because making decisions is what being an adult is all about. The very most important decision any person can ever make is to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That decision changes everything. For it is a decision to stop being a slave and to become a free person under King Jesus. The second most important decision any human being can ever make is to get married, which is to go right back into slavery. Um, actually, that's what most people think, but that's baloney. Um, it's not slavery at all. Um, it's actually the highest form of freedom under King Jesus. However, the characteristic sins of husbands and wives can turn marriage into a kind of slavery, which is exactly what the devil wants, which is why we're talking about this subject, the characteristic sins of husbands and wives. We're talking about this this morning in order to do marriage God's way and defeat the lies of the devil. So this morning, we're going to look at the sins of husbands and wives, and that's a huge, gigantic subject, so the sermon will last till about 5 o'clock this afternoon. Not really. 
We're only going to just look at the characteristic sins of husbands and wives, and that should only take a couple of hours. So what do I mean by the characteristic sins of husbands and wives? I mean, you know, that sounds kind of sexist, and it really is, as a matter of fact. So we want to get rid of those sexist sins. But there's something else that I have to talk about first. Last Lord's Day, we saw how the devil led Adam and Eve astray. How did he do that? Well, first of all, he questioned the Word of God. Did God really say you can't eat of every tree of the garden? And then secondly, he flatly contradicted God's word, said, you shall not surely die. And then third, he offered another way, which was his way. And that is, you can be like God, deciding for yourselves what is good and evil. The devil still does the same old lies uh, because... They're effective. People keep believing those same old lies. He's been telling them for going on 10,000 years now. Um, and people still fall, fall for them. And that is he leads us into reading the Bible through one or other false perspective so that we can make the Bible say what we want it to say instead of what it says. That's how come in our time, people read the Bible and say, oh, sex before marriage used to be called fornication, and it was wrong. But now we know it's really just free love, so it's okay. Or they read the Bible and they say, hmm, sex outside of one's marriage used to be called adultery, but now we know it's just variety, so it's okay. Or they read their Bible and they say, oh, sex between persons of the same sex used to be called sodomy and that was wrong. But now we know it's just same-sex love and so it's okay. And it goes on and on and on till we end up justifying every kind of sin because we're following the lies of the devil. The fact is that we never read the Bible from a neutral standpoint. When we read the Bible, we already always have all kinds of false ideas in our heads, but there's an easy way to deal with that. But it's really hard. It's easy because all we have to do is read the Bible as what it is, the Word of God, and for what it says, so we want to know what He says and do what He says instead of trying to make it say what we want it to say so that we can do what we want to do. That's easy, but it's hard because we really want it to say what we want it to say. So we have to make a decision as adults beforehand to go with what God says instead of what we already think and what we want to make the Bible agree with. This is called not being conformed to the world, but buying, but being transformed by the renewing of our mind. That's Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So I want you to all go out and get that tattooed on your forehead backwards so that you can hold up a little mirror and read it right way. Um, or you can just simply look it up in your Bible, Romans 12, 2, or you can write it out on a piece of paper and pull it out and remind yourself, or you can just simply memorize it, which is what I really recommend. So having said all that, we finally come to the Bible. Just wanted to warn you that it's very easy for us, and we see it in the culture all around us, for people to make the Bible say what they want it to say. And of course, the Bible doesn't say what they want it to say. We want to decide ahead of time, we're going to read it for what God says and pay attention to what God says so that we do it God's way. And that is to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. So we've been working in Genesis 1 and 2 for the last three Lord's days. I want to give you this summary of observations from the biblical narrative, the unfolding story in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. And there's a number of them, so hang in here with me because it's only in this context that we can discern and describe and be aware of the characteristic sins of husbands and the characteristic sins of wives. And then in future sermons, we're going to get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty. But you kind of have to get the big picture in order to be able to understand the more specific, the more specific types of sins that we so easily fall into. So then first, right off, we see that God created Adam to be specific. God formed Adam from the dust of the earth and breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, and he became a living being. Right off, we have an application because this corrects the modern view that humans evolved from apes. No, they didn't. Secondly, Adam created him as a man. That is to say that Adam had masculine characteristics. Third, God created Adam for specific purposes for which God had designed and for which God had equipped him to work and to guard the garden. Fourth, Adam was alone, and that was not good. And so we have another application. This corrects the modern view that a man is better off alone without a woman, that is, to be unmarried. That is a very common view these days, and it's flat wrong. It's contradicted by the fact that the first man, who was a perfect man, was alone, and it was nicht gut. It was not good. Fifth, God assigned to Adam to name all the animals, by which Adam became aware of his need for a mate. Sixth, God created Eve as a woman, which is to say that she had feminine characteristics, and he created her by forming her from a rib, from Adam. Seventh, God created Eve for specific purposes for which God had designed her and for which he had equipped her, that is, to be Adam's companion and helper. And so we have another application from points one through seven. All of these together correct the modern view that men and women are the same. No, they are not. Eighth, God brought the woman to the man, and they became husband and wife. 
And so we have an application. This is the ordinary state for men and women. Being unmarried is the exception that proves the rule. And there are those that God calls to be unmarried, and that's fine. But the ordinary state for most is going to be marriage. Ninth, together. I want to emphasize that word together. The man and the woman were the image of God. Genesis 1, 26 to 27. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so God created man in his image. Male and female, he created them. And right here we have an application. This corrects the modern error that is so prevalent of seeking to understand men and women separately. We must understand men and women to understand them correctly. We must understand them in relation to one another. A tenth observation and application. Together, together, the man and woman were blessed by God. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them. Eleventh, together, together, the man and the woman were to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Genesis 1.28. And twelfth, together, together, the man and the woman were to exercise dominion over all the creatures. Genesis 1.28. And another application. This corrects the modern errors of thinking in terms of superiority, inferiority, or equality. All three ways are foreign to and contrary to everything that we have just seen in these 12 observations. The Bible doesn't raise issues, doesn't consider, they're not even on the radar screen, issues of superiority, inferiority, or equality. And yet the devil very easily gets us off into totally foreign ground by raising these issues and leads us to read the scriptures through those issues and to distort and completely restate what the scriptures say to fit in with modern ideologies. The fact is that together, together, Adam and Eve were to grow and mature in the imaging of God by growing together and their relationship with each other and with God. That's what is in view. That's the biblical concern, is growth and maturity as a man and as a woman in relation to each other and in relation to God, who together, and not separately, but together they image Adam, as a man, was to be Eve's husband, leader, provider, and protector. And as a father and teacher and provider and protector of their children. We see in Genesis 3 
that Adam failed Eve at just exactly these points. He failed as a husband, as a leader, as a provider, and a protector. We detailed that last Lord's Day. The characteristic sins of men, of husbands, is to refuse to grow up into maturity into this calling. For example, men, husbands, often become idolaters who worship and serve some created thing in place of God, typically power or wealth or pleasure, and they are either unaware of or actually reject their calling to be husbands, providers, protectors. Eve, as a woman, was to be Adam's wife, helper, to be his crown and his glory, as we saw from the Apostle Paul, and to be a mother, teacher, provider, and protector of their children. And so the characteristic sins of women are to refuse to grow up into maturity in this calling. For example, women are either unaware of or reject their calling to help their husband mature into his calling as a husband and a father and a provider and a protector. And this is the very great power of women, the very great power of wives. Not to change their husband, but to help him grow up to be all that God wants and intends him to be as a husband and as a father. God has hardwired us as men to desire, indeed to require the approval, the respect of a woman, and most particularly of a wife. Women oftentimes fall into the modern error instead of thinking that they have to be like men or even the error of thinking that they are men. The way to correct the characteristic sins of men as husbands, the characteristic sins of women as wives, is to take a hold of the Word of God. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That is to say, we want to come to God's instructions in the Scriptures with the awareness that we're carrying all manner of baggage. We're not neutral. And a great deal of the baggage that we are carrying is bad baggage, such as the things that I've exposed as we walk through the observations of what God says in the unfolding narrative of Genesis 1 through 3. And that affects even the way that we read the Bible. But if we come to the Bible with the awareness that we are carrying baggage, especially if we are aware of what that baggage is, but even if we're not sure all the baggage we're carrying, just knowing that fact that we are carrying baggage, we can, in a self-aware way, 
say, I do not want to be conformed to the world, but rather I want to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. I want to read Genesis or whatever passage it is. We're going to be going into Ephesus in some detail, Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5. Um, that we want to approach that with a self-awareness, a self-consciousness that we are carrying with us a whole raft of bad ideas that we want to just get rid of. And we want to undergo a transformation by the Word of God, by paying attention to what is it that God is saying in the Word. And then in this way, we can maintain, we can be and stay faithful as husbands. We can be faithful as wives, and we can remain faithful as wives. And not only that, and this is the great object that is in view in Genesis 1 through 3, we can mature and grow in our faithfulness as husbands and as wives, as fathers and as mothers. We grow and mature together, that great word together, and glorifying and enjoying God. We'll get into some of the more specifics, but that's the groundwork for it. And now you've been given the tool so that when you read the Bible, you can be self-aware of bad baggage that you want to get rid of and self-aware of what is it that God actually says? Because that is rock solid and we can build our marriage on that and we can grow and become better husbands and wives on that basis. And then in turn... We can raise up our sons to be men, to be husbands, to be fathers. And we can raise up our daughters to be women, to be wives, to be mothers. To God be the glory. Let's respond to these applications.